This is Car Expert. It was first impressions based, but I came away probably the most impressed I've ever been with any Lexus product, aside from obviously the LFA. If you're going to remove features, don't just give me a thousand bucks off. You're going to need to bend over a bit more, Mr. Manufacturer. It's the biggest panoramic roof ever used in a BMW before. It has liquid crystals inside it that when you apply a voltage to, they scatter. My name is Mandy Turner. Hello, Tony Crawford. Hey, Mandy. How are you? Great to have you back. Yeah, and likewise. Mike, and uh, Mike Costello. Hello. I mean, I was looking forward to doing this, but now I'm stuck in a in a in a Zencaster call with Crawford. I'm not going to get a word in edgewise. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I want to say that with complete. You know, it's not that I'm selfish or, you know, um, <laughs> not Crawford. gracious or humble. but You, you just love cars. I, I, love, I love talking. I, I certainly would rather talk about it than write about it sometimes, <laughs> yes. to be honest. Much easier. It is. For me, um, anyway. So what have you been driving recently? Well, I've been very lucky, um, you know, because when the manufacturers hand you the keys to an Aston Martin Vantage Roadster. Oh. Uh, and, and I must admit, I... I I initially didn't, you know, fall in love with the new um, Vantage. I thought the front end was a little bit generic. The rear end was fantastic because it looked like a GT3 car. But anyway, uh, Vantage Roadster, and it's really interesting because uh, not so long ago I was in a 911 cab career arrest. So it gave me a really good perspective um, on how to judge this. And I tell you what, I'd take the Vantage Roadster all day long over the 911, um, mainly because I love the look of the Vantage Roadster. With the roof down, there's nothing like it. It is spectacular. Um, And this thing's got a massive twin-turbo 4-litre V8 uh, from AMG. And honestly, I was doing 80 k's an hour at 1,000 RPM. This thing is not even working. And then when you slip it into sport, uh, so it's, it starts out in sport, then you've got sport plus and track. I drove it a little bit in track, to be honest, because I just love the response and the noise and the barking of this thing. Um, but this is a car I could really live with. If you had the money uh, and you lived on the beaches or whatever and to cruise out, this is the car you buy. You wouldn't buy the coupe. I'm not going to go on the track with Advantage anyway. Um, so this is the one I'd buy, and it's got the world's fastest convertible route, 6.8 seconds, folks. Wow. Um, so you can you can literally drop it, raise what? it. Yes, yeah, 6.8 seconds. I didn't think I heard done. you right. Wow. And you're done. Yeah, and you're done. And, it, and you know what? The other thing is amazing. It does not impede into the boot space at all. Really? It's it's a it's a really good sized boot as well. So wow. uh, hats off to Aston Martin. They've produced a roadster that is utterly desirable. And if I was looking at buying a fast sports car drop top, this would be the one I'd buy. <laughs> Even though it's got shortcomings like an old command system uh, Ben's infotainment eh. there, but who cares, right? Doesn't matter. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't give two hoots about it. I don't no. care. It could have no infotainment, and I wouldn't care. <laughs> um, I just it over six point eight seconds. Actually, although I got to say, there is mm. one car I can think of that's got a quicker roof than a, a six point eight second time, and is that it? is the manual cloth roof in the uh, MX Five. Yes, yeah, dude, it's a manual. I can <laughs> pull up in six seconds. Yes. <laughs> 
back. Yeah, so much. Dude, 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 the MX-5 wasn't the first to have that sort of thing. The Alfa Romeo Spider of 1975. Every classic car had it. Yeah, you could literally be driving along the Harbour Bridge. It start raining. You reach behind you, pull it up, clip, clip, done. Yeah, because it's an old Alfa Romeo, the plastic clip snapped off oh. after about three seconds. I had an amazing Alfa Spider, and you know what? I used to poo-poo the poor old guys in their uh, English MGs that had to pull to the side and clip every stud they had, and they were getting soaked while I was done. You know, it's brilliant. <laughs> um, awesome stuff. Can't wait to read that review, Croft. Yeah, no um, worries. Now, Moko, you've had a bit of a chat with the head of Volkswagen Australia. What did you discuss? The head of Volkswagen Group Australia, Mandy. Oh, so, um, Mr. Paul Sansom is his name. He recently started, he started on January 1, as a matter of fact. Uh, Michael Barch, his predecessor, um, went off to the United States for a senior role there. Volkswagen Group Australia is the parent or sales company for Volkswagen cars, Volkswagen commercials, Skoda, Audi as of quite recently, which used to kind of be its own thing here, and the imminent Cupra brand. He doesn't oversee Porsche or Lamborghini or any of those high-end brands, but the bread and butter stuff as well as Audi of Volkswagen Group. And so it was a really good opportunity to get to know Paul, to sort of understand where he wants to take the brand. And there's obviously been a lot of criticism levelled at the Volkswagen Group in Australia, not just for diesel, which you know has been a worldwide phenomenon, but also the relative paucity of electric vehicles in its lineup, the constant gripes about fuel quality. There's been you know a lot of I guess negative coverage of the company. So it was really good to talk to him. Um, I found it a pretty engaging conversation actually, and I would encourage anyone who's interested in industry issues to go and have a read of that on the website. It's it's been live for about a week now, but if you go to the Volkswagen showroom. Um, on Car Expert, you'll find it. There's one bit that I want to touch on, which is we keep hearing uh, executives say that Australians have such little choice in electric vehicles because there's no CO2 targets put in place by the government. And and that always struck me as a bit odd. So why would a, a car manufacturer really care about the political situation? What it comes back to, though, is that you know, they can only make so many EVs and they're going to send them to markets where you get massive fines for not selling them. And then the markets that don't have CO2 caps in place like Australia are going to get the dregs. So I asked him straight out if this was the case. Is it true then, Paul, that if either ScoMo or Albo, whoever wins the election, turns around and says, righto, if you don't have a fleet average CO2 in Australia uh, output of X, we're going to give you a big fine, just like happens in Europe. Is it going to be a 180? Are you immediately going to find yourself barraged with, with electric cars to sell to customers? And his response was, quote, you can make the discussion more complicated and complex, but it really does come down to that. It really is that simple. In all of our group factories, it's not like you're having conversations with Ingolstadt, Wolf, Wolfsburg and Martorell. It's one conversation that we have. Without doubt, the critical part of that conversation is what's the legislation in your country? Have you got targets to meet that if you don't meet them, there's going to be penalties? These are significant penalties in the EU and elsewhere, and I'm happy to say that in the EU, and then he continues on. But it really does show that we, we keep hearing about this dumping ground analogy, that if there aren't targets in place, Australia's going to miss out on the good stuff. And now we have it from a bloke who runs five car brands, who talks to five different factories trying to get his hand on EVs to sell in Australia, that that is actually the case. And I found that a really interesting takeaway. 
Wow, fantastic. Um, any, anything else worth noting that um, you asked him about? Yeah, so we touched on all matter of industry hot button issues, different retail strategies, be it agency or, or direct to consumer online, bricks and mortar dealers, particularly around the Cooper brand. Future electric products we spoke about at length. We spoke about the brand perception and how it's going overall, how he's planning on differentiating all the different brands because you've obviously got this incredibly big spread of products. Supply, you know, in the current context of record high prices and semiconductor shortages. So I tried to keep it fairly high level, didn't want to get stuck in the nitty-gritty details because, you know, the the big dogs aren't there to talk about the small details. They're there to talk about the big things. Um, And I found it pretty enlightening. So um, I'm really grateful for, for getting some time with him and yeah if you're into the industry stuff like i am uh go check it out all right it's news time but with a difference we've got jack quick joining us to take us through all the stories or the biggest stories of the week hello jack hello mandy thanks for having me it's a little bit different isn't it i know this is fantastic so these stories were all actually written by you so you know them inside out um the first story took me by surprise and it's actually rather cool uh a reimagined delorean has been teased and we know it's going to be an ev yes so i um i started the article i had to i had to say great scott (laughs) so the delorean is back um but it won't be with the it won't be the exact same as we originally saw it with the v6 um but it has a lot of the same kind of features so um what first drew the draw the attention of this was um so delorean had um posted a teaser on its social media of this cool black and white teaser video um with this very modern looking DeLorean with the the classic, um, the gullwing doors. So, you know, it's a DeLorean, Mm. but in the little, um, the hashtags, it says hashtag electric vehicle. So it's pretty obvious. It's going to be an EV of some sort, going to reinvent the DeLorean in the the modern context and chuck out the V6. So um, to kind of get put in a bit of context, the the DeLorean first came about in the mid seventies and was founded by uh, the company founded by um, John DeLorean, who was a previous head of um, GM and had a lot of issues in creating the car. I'm guessing everyone knows the story roughly, um, but was, kind of a, a crappy car a, a crappy jack. good car <laughs> jack jack i gotta butt in i, I believe yeah. the delorean was based on the lotus esprit um uh it sort of looks like it doesn't it yeah I'm, I'm i'm pretty sure it was yeah you're kind of along the right track Croft. from my from my research what i found was that there were Lotus was involved with the suspension tuning aspect. I could be wrong, and I might have got my facts mixed up. But at some, it wouldn't surprise me at all if some aspect of the Lotus Esprit made its way into the DeLorean as kind of like a parts bin special. So, moving on from that though, um, the company that created the original DeLorean, Atal Design, or in particular Giorgetto Dujara, who's well known for creating the uh, designing the original Volkswagen Golf and a heaps of other cars. It uh, looks like this new uh, model is going to be, the reimagined model is going to be also made by this same company because after I posted this story, they uh, retweeted this, the exact same t- uh, teaser image, a uh, teaser video, I should say. So it looks very promising. We're going to see an EV DeLorean very soon and I don't know when, and but it's going to have an EV powertrain. Um, 
hopefully it goes faster than 88 miles an hour and it doesn't go back in time or into the future. Um, but and it'll be more reliable than the previous DeLorean <laughs> Well, here's hoping, yeah. Oh, uh, my God, yeah, good horror stories. The, the other thing, guys, that I noticed in Jack's story that it's being financed, the company, by Stephen Wynn. Now, Steve Wynn, as he's normally called in Vegas, is a huge uh, developer. Uh, he actually has his own hotel, The Wynn, um, which is one of the leading uh, prestige hotels in Vegas on the Strip. And uh, I believe he is very much a car guy, so um, doesn't surprise me. Uh, and it's quite fascinating. So he definitely has the money to mm-hmm. back this company here. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely worth noting that this reimagined DeLorean is, isn't um, related to the original DeLorean. So in 1995, um, when the company or was bankrupt and was dead, um, as Crofter said, this uh, guy, Stephen Wynn, bought the rights, the name, the trademark for the DeLorean and has been selling refurbished DeLoreans, the original ones, for the years now. And now I'm guessing he's amassed much, enough money that he can – make his own. <laughs> <laughs> He's allowed to. We can do it. Absolutely. Okay. The next story we've got here, the 2022 Mercedes AMG EQE 53 EV, could that name be any longer, is coming to Australia, Jack. So, yeah, Mercedes-Benz is coming with its second all-electric car to its lineup, the AMG EQE, which is very similar to the EQS, but instead it has a boot rather than a liftback and it's coming to Australia in the form of the AMG EQE 53 Formatic Plus. Very long name. I've said it many times before on the podcast that it's a bit of a tongue twister and it's long. So with the um, the AMG 53, uh, AMG EQE 53, sorry, I'm even getting tongue twisted myself, it's meant to be coming at a later date. We don't notice it. It's only been revealed, um, but it's powered by a dual motor setup that's a little bit less powerful than the EQS 53. EQE 53 has 460 kilowatts of power and 950 newton meters of torque in the standard guys, but it goes up from there. There's an optional AMG Dynamics Plus package, which has 505 kilowatts of power and 950 newton meters of torque and can do zero to 103.3 seconds. Now, that is crazy to me because the car weighs 2.5 tonnes. So, it's a big boy, but that's not even like that's that's heavy. But if you put it in the context, the EQS 53 is 2.7 tonnes and this um, EQE, the EQE 53 is actually faster than the EQS 53 because it's lighter it make the eqs 53 makes that an incrementally more power but seeing it's 200 kilos less it's like 0.2 of a second or 0.1 of a second faster which i think is pretty pretty valid because they're big boys and so across the um so with this um, amg eqe it's all powered by um made it to a um a 90 kilowatt hour lithium ion battery so it's a big battery too that what is what makes up the majority of this weight and um similar to a lot of the eqs features this um eqe has um, a lot of gloss black trim has like a similar rear axle um steer so at speeds below 60 k's an hour it helps you it turns the opposite direction as the front wheel a front wheel so you can get around a corner tighter or at speeds above 60 k's an hour heads in the they go in the same direction for um, increased uh, stability and things like that 
The main draw card that isn't unfortunately standard is the hyper screen. It includes a huge central display, a driver's display, and then a passenger display. It goes about 1.4 meters wide and from door to door. But unfortunately, it's not standard unlike it is in the EQS, the AMG EQS 53. It'd be really cool to have and I'd love to see it in person. Toyota has uh, painted a manual transmission for EVs with a fake clutch. I, I I don't know how I feel about this. So, yes, it's why. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I had a lot of commenters thinking the same thing. Like, why are you doing this? But Toyota has um, has patented about eight different documents in the US where it's going into depth as very very verbose, and I had to do a lot of research about what the hell's going on. But uh, so the with the EVs. They're obviously either single speed or dual speed. Um, and Toyota says, why not have a manual, even though it's not a rear? <laughs> so it's um, patented this technology where you can have your clutch and your six-speed transmission, for example, with the flexibility of either doing it with a manual, like doing it traditionally, or you can do it fully EV if you want. You don't have to worry about it. And it gives you that flexibility and it kind of just pulls it all back to um, – you're having fun with the car. That's what a manual is all about. Um, and giving uh, Toyota's, I, I don't know if this is going to actually happen, but it's just all about giving um, owners the flexibility to have some fun with their, their EVs. And I bet it's going to be an awesome, a, a bit uh, like an awesome feature for an 86 successor. So there's two things on that. One is uh, Toyota's promised in its EV cavalcade that it revealed last year, all different future products, it's going to electrify that there is going to be a relatively affordable electric coupe. So that's clearly what this is designed for. Um, this is not unprecedented, though. A friend of mine runs a company called Jaunt in Victoria that uh, converts old series Land Rovers to electric, and he actually keeps the manual gearbox in there. You don't need to use the clutch. You can just move the stick if you want to. Um, but it's purely an artifice. Um, but it gives you, as Jack sort of said, the sense of engagement and feel, which, to be honest with you, every time you drive an EV, there is a sense of disconnect for me because mm. it does lack that, you know, uh, that engagement factor that a manual can provide. So, hey, maybe maybe this is the, the key to, to sort of sexing up and, and adding the engagement factor to EVs that they're missing. On to the next story, Jack. It seems like we have another victim of this semiconductor chip shortage, and this time it's Skoda. So, yes, um, I got this mysterious message overnight of um, a, a person that has a Kodiak RS on order saying, hey, I got a call from a dealer last night and I'm going to be missing some features from my car that I originally thought it was going to be coming with and they're giving me some money to credit me for this um, for this missing features. This isn't really good enough. What is Skoda going to do about this? So, it's all to do with semiconductor-related issues. We've talked about it before. Skoda isn't alone with this, but um, it's removing a lot of um, uh, safety technology and also luxury technology. In the top-of-the-range RS, it comes standard um, usually with a surround-view camera, blind spot monitoring, recross traffic alert, and then with a, a premium sound system and um, special child locks on the rear doors. So it's not going to be coming with that, and this, uh, all of those features are also optional on the lower um, lower grade uh, Kodiaks, but it's not coming with it. And every owner is getting um, $1,100 uh, credits to go towards this and saying, sorry, guys, 
can't you want your car and if, but if you want this you're gonna have to wait a long time but um so you can either for owners you can either take the deli- take delivery of the car with no feet the, with the missing features and which unfortunately can't be retrofitted that's the catch um or it can wait a few wait a few months or however long it's going to be and um, defer your delivery to a new model, to a newer model, which hopefully will have these features that are missing. Um, I had a little chat with the, the Skoda Australia spokesperson and they, they kind of, um, they confirmed this for me. And they said that they only um, they imagined that this is going to the Kodiak is going to be in its uh, de-specified form for a few months. I doubt it will be like this because I know that a lot of cars are very similar. Um, Volkswagen itself has um, like the Volkswagen Group is not alone with this as well. So the I know that the Golf R and the Tiguan R have got their have. Um, before they've even been released in Australia, have had their Harman Kardon um, premium sound systems also removed. So it's a sad time to be ordering a, a, a Kodiak because you'll be missing out on some pretty important features that I think is necessary for a new car in 2022. I don't know about you guys, but uh, if if I ordered a car that costs, you know, 40 grand or more and someone said you're not getting what you originally wanted, I, I, I'd be pretty pissed. So devil's advocate here, and, and I agree with you, Croft, to a degree, but as Jack said, I mean, Peugeot's just done this. They've taken Thorax airbags out of the Expert. Ford's ripped Stop Start and an inverter out of the Ranger. Um, there's a heap of other examples of this. The global semiconductor shortage is such that car brands literally cannot make vehicles with features. They, they just can't. They just And it's physically not possible to add these features to a car. Yeah. So you get two choices. You can either wait a year or you can get a discount. <laughs> it sucks. No, that's and, a, and I get the anger, but there's not. It sort of feels like their hands are kind of tied. To be honest with you, it's not really that, Moko. But if you're going to remove features, don't just give me a thousand bucks off. Give, give me some more. Like I think, I think if you're not getting what you originally signed up for, you're going to need to bend over a bit more, Mister Manufacturer, Fair. and give me a little bit more than that. Like. Not just a thousand bucks discount, you know. Throw me some some jackets, or throw me some pretty cool stuff to take away the pain, because a thousand bucks just doesn't do it if you're removing all those safety features uh, and 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 or a premium sound system. You know what I mean? Like I I want a bigger deal. More news can be read at Car Expert. Jack, quick, thank you very much. I'm sure we'll speak again soon. Thank you, Mandy, for having me. The BMW iX is here, the brand's latest EV. And as you're about to find out, Paul Merrick said in his review, it's thrown the kitchen sink at it. Hello, Paul. (laughs) Hello, Mandy. How's it going? Not literally, though. (laughs) Um, You're you're pleased to hear. Thankfully. (laughs) Um, So how important is this uh, iX for BMW? Well, look, it's it's quite important in the sense that it sits on a bespoke platform. So it's brand new. uh, It's not like some of their other cars, like the iX3, which we're testing at the moment, which is effectively an X3 internal combustion car with EV components. The iX is is entirely EV. There's no internal combustion equivalent. And it, it's dimensionally different enough from the other products to justify its own existence. So it's slightly bigger than an X5. Um, it feels incredibly big inside based on um, the, the long, long wheelbase and 
Look, it does all of the EV things really well. It goes fast in a straight line. But what BMW is really focused on is technology and also giving it a luxury feel inside the cabin. And the the cabin is probably one of the nicest cars I've ever sat in, let alone the nicest EV. And I can say confidently, we recently tested the Maybach GLS. This feels far more premium than that. And it's significantly cheaper as well. So how much is the iX? Well, it depends which one you want to go for. So the whole range starts at a little under $140,000. The one that we tested, uh, that's for the xDrive 40, which has a 77 kilowatt hour battery. The one that we tested was the xDrive 50, which is currently the top specification here in Australia. And that uses a 112 kilowatt hour battery. So a significantly bigger battery. That one's priced at just under $170,000 plus on roads. The big advantage of that battery, though, is the driving range. It comes with over 600 kilometres of driving range, which for an EV today is actually really impressive in terms of how far you can drive and and, uh, how quickly it will charge with that DC charger as well. I bet you it's a heavy bugger with a battery that big, though, Paulie. How much does it weigh? Yeah, it is. So it weighs a little over 2,500 kilos, and it's worth pointing out that an equivalent Model X is a little over 2,200 kilos. This has a bigger battery and more features and is nicer. So it is justifiably heavier, but like you said, that affects it in a number of ways. So firstly, range. Obviously, the heavier the vehicle is, the more energy you need to use to move it and the less the range is. So it's it's kind of like a... I don't know what the term is, but it's it's a diminishing return. The more uh, battery you put in there, the you know longer it will go, but the more your effect economy. So, um, if you had this platform with all of its carbon structure and aluminium subframe, and had a twenty kilowatt hour battery, you would in theory be more economical than you would with a hundred kilo hundred kilowatt hour battery. Um, so, in that sense, yes, it is heavy, and that affects its performance. So, it's in a straight line. It's fast. It does zero to one hundred in under five seconds, but the problem here is that it doesn't really feel like a BMW. So they use air suspension. It runs on 22-inch alloy wheels, and, and it's very soft and very comfortable. But the second you put it into sport mode and and ask of it to do BMW-related things, it, it doesn't really do those well. And I described in our video that it feels like you're driving a fast bus. Like it is just a huge car, and yes, it's fast, but it, it just really wallows and feels bus-like when you really get up it. Mm. Um, what's it like at, at higher speeds? Pretty quiet, like road noise terms? Yeah. I mean, we, we did a, a higher speed run here at the Proving Ground where we tested it. It has a VMAX of 200 kilometres an hour. And even on the course chip roads here on the ride and handling track, which simulates a country road, it is one of the quietest cars I've ever driven. It is dead silent. And normally with an EV, because you don't have that internal combustion noise, you get a lot of wind noise and tyre noise coming into the cabin. Um, This, on the other hand, was absolutely silent. And I I think if they can apply what they've learned here with the iX to more affordable uh, EVs in the BMW range, I think it's really exciting times ahead for the brand. You mentioned right at the beginning, it's got a a lot of uh, cool tech. Can you take us through some of that? Yeah, so um, it, it really is just loaded with the latest and greatest. And, and I'll start on the outside. So the, the bonnet, disappointingly, doesn't have any storage under there. And it's also not open. Well, it is openable, but just not by the customer. And to get around things like uh, filling the washer fluid, the washer fluid container is located under the BMW logo. So you basically have to pop that open and fill it there instead of under the bonnet. Um, it has uh, washers for the front and rear cameras housed in... <laughs> we're just looking at the podcast screen here and Mike has a cat that's currently walking behind. 
<laughs> he, uh, he likes to make cameos. Chairman Meow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, look, on the outside, you got, you got some of that stuff. And, and what was fascinating about the, the front of it, the grill is enormous and quite dividing in terms of the design, but it, it features the speaker for the pedestrian warning system, all of the car's advanced radars and that type of thing. But it also has a Space Age coating on it that self-heals. So, if you do uh, scratch it or get a gash on it, you apply some heat to it and after 24 hours, it will self-heal and, and cover up that, that wound, which I think is pretty cool. Inside the cabin, it features OS8, so it's the first BMW to feature that um, new operating system for iDrive, and it is just streets ahead of OS7, which was okay, but really I thought a backward step for BMW. Um, on the technology front, you have an application on the phone that you can connect to. The phone can act as a digital key now, so that's a nat native to the Apple operating system. And Apple's done a clever thing where if your phone runs out of battery, there's just enough reserve in there for it to continue operating as a key. So it means that you can still access the car even if your phone is dead. And in addition to that, the BMW app now allows you to do a 360 view outside the car, which is something that, that we've seen previously. So at any point, you can take a snapshot of what's going on outside the car while you're not with it. Now you can take a photo inside the car as well. And it means that if you are in a position where... Um, somebody breaks into the car, it will record all of this and then store it on the cloud. So, look, it is pretty remarkable what they've been able to cram inside the cabin. Um, and actually, one extra feature I'll call out as well is the roof. Um, it's the biggest panoramic roof ever used in a BMW before. But what's unique to this is that it has liquid crystals inside it that when you apply a voltage to, they scatter and you basically go from transparent to opaque immediately. So this is technology that um, I think we last saw on a Maybach a little while back. So it's pretty or cool a, stuff. Or a 787 Dreamliner. It reminded me of at night when yep. you're on one of those and they press the button. When I drove it wow. back from BMW HQ just to the office, that was the thing that absolutely blew my mind. I've never seen that on a car before. Yeah, it, it is such cool stuff. So I think the fact that they're able to fit this to a standard equipment on, on the 50, yes, it is an expensive car, but the fact that you can actually get this in a new car today, I think is pretty awesome. Mm. So, Paulie, the big one that comes to me and the big one that I'm reckoning every commenter wants to know is, does the schnoz grow on you? Does that enormous, oversized, ridiculous grill kind of grow on you in time or does it still look a bit gawky after spending some time with it? Well, this is the thing. The way I look at styling is my wife married me and I, I can be quite <laughs> offensive to look at. So, <laughs> styling to, to me is entirely subjective and, and some people love the look of it. I'm personally not a fan of the front. I think the back looks fantastic. But ultimately, it turns so many heads. And I don't know whether it's for the right reasons, but a lot of people look at the car. And once you're inside, what it looks like outside doesn't really matter too much. Um, but I think the, it, will, it will come in the sales. We'll, we'll have to see how it does. I personally think the Model X is, is absolutely yuck to look at, um, yet people seem to gel with that. So perhaps it will grow on people and, and people will just take it for you know, the, the car that it is as opposed to you know, anything else. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, as a father, would you consider buying this car as a family no. car? <laughs> <laughs> now, the reason I say that is um, in the car that we drive, it's far too nice to have kids inside because the seats were, uh, so the seats you can get in leather, non-leather or cloth and they were entirely perforated. And I can just imagine the first time you drop <laughs> custard or I don't know, just anything else on those seats, you will never, ever have the same seat again. So, no, I'm hoping they do like a just a flat finish on them at some point because, um, yeah, I would love to use this as a family car, but I just think it's way too nice to have kids inside it, which is a real shame. 
Do you reckon uh, Black Duck might put out a range of canvas workhorse seat covers for the IX? It seems like a niche market that they might. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe. You never know. <laughs> Um, do you know any uh, like servicing costs and all those sort of things, Paul? Yeah, I do. This is the, the strange thing for me. So having owned my Tesla now for a little over two years, I've spent uh, in total on servicing $63, which is um, two cabin air filters that I changed myself. Um, BMW, for some reason, charges you $1,520 for a four-year service plan or $2,195 for a six-year service plan. And I just can't understand what you're servicing on the car. It, it really is just a very strange thing to me. I mean, you can fill up the washer fluid on your own. Um, you rarely ever use the brakes because of the, the regen. Um, I mean, the tyres, you inspect yourself. I, I really don't understand what else there is to look at in this car. Uh, and I, I think this is one of the things that longer term, traditional manufacturers need to stop doing because servicing an EV is not the same as servicing an internal combustion car and the price differential between servicing an EV at BMW and an internal combustion car isn't all that big. Okay. Uh, You've given it a car expert rating of 8.5. The review and the video is up at the site now. Thank you, Paul Marrick. Thank you, Mandy and Mike. Moko, you recently attended the launch of Lexus's uh, best-selling SUV, the uh, best-selling car, I should say, the NX. Uh, And it seems like the Japanese brand hasn't done a bad job with the second generation. Yeah, the um, the first one was a smash hit sales-wise, and in a lot of ways it was great, but in some ways it was a bit rough around the edges. This new one, though, is a, is a very different beast indeed. It, it, it migrates across to the same platform as the RAV4, um, but in terms of design, it's a lot more cohesive than its predecessor model. The old one was all sharp edges and angles and things like that. This one's a lot smoother and better proportion than before. Um, the big revelation, though, is when you hop inside. So base models get just a 9.8-inch touchscreen, which is all right, but all the rest get a 14-inch touchscreen that's driver-oriented. And um, unlike pretty much every other Lexus I've ever driven, the infotainment and tech actually works really well. So it's got voice-activated commands like open the sunroof, you know, cool me down, et cetera, et cetera, that all works. The processing power is great. The graphics are really excellent. Um, there aren't hundreds of confusing menus or stupid fiddly trackpads that you have to use like other Lexuses. So a real revelation on that front. Combined with all the typical attributes of Lexus, like the best seats in the business, brilliant quality, um, it, it really is sort of a step change for that brand. They've also got, uh, as, as has become familiar, a mixture of petrol and hybrid uh, models to choose from. The petrol is a 2.4-litre turbo with uh, more than 200 kilowatts of power. So it absolutely hammers along 7 seconds to 100 k's. And it's a Lexus-only engine, which gives that company a nice differentiator from Toyota. The hybrid is the one that most people will buy. uses 5 litres every 100 k's. And the base one is a naturally aspirated petrol that is really just a price leader at just over 60 grand, which is about you know, 10% more than a top of the tree CX-5 or Tiguan or any of those. The big news on the drivetrain front, though, is the plug-in hybrid NX450H+, Plus, um, the company's first plug-in hybrid, a natural evolution for a brand that's been really big on hybrid tech for a long time, claiming 87 k's of EV range, which is frankly ludicrous because it's on the NED cycle, which is not very accurate, probably more like 60 or 65 Ks. But nevertheless, 227 kilowatts, 6.3 seconds to 100, 50 to 60 Ks of real-world EV range, price point of 90 grand, which is 
15 grand less than the BMW X3 equivalent plug-in hybrid and you have something that looks like a real winner. Um, so yeah, so it just sort of really was one of those typical launch drives where you only really get a quick crack at it. But uh, overall, I was really, really impressed and you know, fitting considering it is the company's top seller that it would put a lot of effort in. Moko, that uh, uh, did you say four fifty or three fifty H? So the three fifty H is the regular hybrid, and then the four fifty H plus is the plug in hybrid. Wow. Um, okay. So so two different steps, um, and you know the the price gap isn't that massive. So the plug in hybrid's only six grand more than the top of the tree normal hybrid when it's optioned up, mm. um, and coming in at ninety grand gets you on the road for under a hundred ish somewhere around there, depending wow. on where you live. Pretty good, pretty good deal, really. Yeah, I, I think I um, when you uh, told me you were doing this, I uh, saw the uh, pics on our website, and I said to you that this looks pretty stylish. Like, yeah. particularly the rear end, I'm looking at now, and I'm really liking that slim light um, treatment that they've got on there. This is a much sharper vehicle than that NX, which, to be honest, I don't know. It always looked a bit underdone um it didn't quite look resonate with that you know full-on lexus prestige to me um but like you said a lot of people bought them but this looks to be a much more substantial proposition Mm -hmm. it is and it's um you know it's up there with class leadership you know it's up there with the xc60 of the world the x3 the glc all those european models that sell so well um you know finding finding critiques that this was actually few and far between as you know croft when you're on a launch and you're driving five different variants and you've only got sort of half a day, you're not going to come away with it with a cohesive understanding of everything about the vehicle. So I've tried to keep it quite high level. Um, Have they got rid of the trackpad? Yes, mate. As I said before, 14-inch touchscreen. Works like a dream. No more trackpad. (laughs) Gone. Um, But i got to say, you know, in terms of engines, the 2.4 turbo, really, really nice and smooth. The base 2.5 Atmo, Meh, but it's again, it's the base car, front wheel drive, 18 inch wheels, plenty of ride comfort. So that's kind of what you're buying that for. The hybrid, they continue to just smooth out the rough edges. Every new generation of Toyota Lexus hybrid just feels smoother and quieter than the one before it. Plug in hybrid absolutely hammers. Um, in terms of dynamics, it's still not as sporty as an X3 from BMW. It's not the most agile car in the world, but it is fairly um, direct in terms of its steering, fairly comfortable over most roads. One dynamic critique I did notice is that because there's no spare wheel option anymore and it's all run-flat tyres, the NVH noise, vibration and harshness over coarse chip roads really degraded. So you drive on something like Peninsula Link, which is a beautiful, smooth piece of blacktop in Melbourne, and, and it's incredibly quiet and costuming. But then you, you, you go the path less travelled onto some coarse chip, typical crappy B roads that you get in rural Australia, and it does get a bit loud. And those really stiff sidewall run-flat tyres on 20-inch wheels, they do sort of transmit the odd road imperfection to the cabin a bit more than I would like. I also found the headroom situation not great. It's got a sleeker design than before and most come with a sunroof at least as an option. I'm nearly two metres tall, so I'm a little bit of an outlier. But nevertheless, this is an SUV and I did find my head hitting the roof, which uh, I thought was a little bit poor. Um, But, you know, you, you sort of are clutching at straws here. The company has to be commended for addressing all of the weak spots of the old car for the most part and not really dropping the ball in any other areas. The other thing I'll mention, and I see you want to interject there, Croft, but I'll just mention one more thing, which is 
The company on the plug-in hybrid gives you a free charger at home, a free wall box charger, and they also invite you to join the Lexus Encore program, which basically means when you travel interstate, you can organise to have another Lexus waiting at the Qantas Valet for you to just take. They also, when it's time for servicing, will drive to your house, leave a car with you, take your car to the dealer to service it, and then bring it back so that you don't have to in any way be inconvenienced. And Lexus has always been renowned for looking after its customers, but it's taken it to the next level now. And you have to think about this not just as a car, but kind of as a lifestyle. The company really wants to sort of pamper you for the years and years and years that you stay with the brand. So very, very appealing, I have to say. Is that its biggest and most um, prominent USP, do you think, that the fact that, um, well, there's two USPs in my mind. One is the perceived reliability of anything mm-hmm. to do with with the greater umbrella company being the Toyota Motor Corporation um, and the fact that they do all this uh, personalised um, concierge stuff uh, to not only make you feel good but it is incredibly con- – convenient to get Mm -hmm. someone to come and do all that so that you don't even have to drop your car off at the dealership on a busy work morning, uh, which could always be a hassle if you have kids. So this is just a joy. Uh, It must be a joy to actual Lexus owners. And uh, to my mind, is it the only actual company that does that in Australia? Well, you're seeing more and more companies starting to do things like this. Genesis has a really strong play in that space with free servicing and other things. Most of the luxury brands have programs for VIPs where they invite you to cool restaurants and track days. And, you know, a lot of them are tapping into that lifestyle space. But for me, Lexus is still the one that does it best. And I think the thing that this NX is going to be a hit for is all the people that previously owned them will continue to buy them because it does the things that Lexus is supposed to do. But it will also probably appeal to a lot more people who previously were turned off by the weird design or the average engines or the crappy trackpad that didn't really work very well when it came to controlling the infotainment, all those snags that have been kind of smoothed away. It's going to really widen the net. And, you know, when you, when you touch on what it offers customers, that's just the sort of cherry on top of what is a pretty good product. No longer is it the product's average, the experience is good. The product is also really good now too. So it's sort of a win-win. It was first impressions based, but I came away really, really, really impressed and probably the most impressed I've ever been with any Lexus product aside from obviously the LFA, which, you know, hardly counts, does it? Is there an opportunity or did they talk about any um, uh, performance variant of this generation NX? Yeah, so we had a, a bit of a chat about that. The plug-in hybrid is going to be it. So 6.3 seconds, 227 kilowatt peak power. It's not exactly slow, but you're right. There's no GLC 63 style or X3M style, you know, mega performance one. I don't mm. think it would be a very good idea because it's just simply mm. not uh, as good dynamically as the Germans, and it is based on a RAV4 platform ultimately. So I think... a uh, you know, 300 kilowatt turbo one, I, I don't think it would do the car any favours and yeah. I don't know whether Lexus buyers really want it as sort of as outlandish as it would be. Mm. No, I think you're right. Okay. If you would like to read more about that car, the review is live now at carexpert.com.au. Okay. That's the end of this week's podcast. Plenty of launches next week, Moko. Yeah, so at the moment we've got the world's tallest man, Scott Colley, driving the Kia EV6. 
up in Canberra. And then next week, the same illustrious Mr. Scott Colley is uh, heading off to the land of delicious burnt custard tarts, Portugal. Bloody hell. Oh, we've My spoken about this place. before. <laughs> Porsche 718 Cayman GT4S. Uh, for, uh, it's, it's also one of my favourite places, Crawford, uh, I have to say. Thank but, you. You know, um, he's going to have a hard time fitting in that car, isn't he? And he may not set your times around Portimao or whatever it is that he's driving. Um, so same time as that, I'm doing the launch in Melbourne of the new Mercedes-Benz C-Class. doesn't really wow. get much bigger in the luxury space in the C-Class. Mm. Top-selling mm. luxury car for about a decade there. There's also an MX-5 track event this week for the updated Mazda MX-5, and we have got a metric ton of cars through the office, everything across the eastern seaboard from the Hilux single-cab Workmate 4x2 that I'm using for my nice. home renovations through to the new Arteon shooting brake from Volkswagen, the 70 Series 70th anniversary, uh, a Ford Puma revisit, Volvo XC40 Recharge EV up in Brizzy, Hyundai i20N and Subaru BRZ head-to-head. We have got a cavalcade of cars through the office, wow. all of which will make great content. And I hope, Crawford, that you're in a, a nice set of wheels over the weekend. Um, Marco, I've uh, back in my after yeah, I'm back in my long-term Octavia, Skoda Octavia, and. Um, I really love this car, guys, and I've got to talk about it on uh, you know a future podcast because I can't tell you. I still am discovering stuff after about three months on <laughs> what features this car has, and it's just got an endless list of features, and uh, it goes well. It's such a good car. It's basically a liftback, uh, as Skoda does, and um, it, I, you know it's basically a station wagon when you want it to be and a sedan-looking sedan um, when you need it to be if you want the style. But uh, I'm, I, more people should be driving Skodas. Um, and if, if, if someone is not convinced, um, give, us, uh, give me a call. Uh, DM me on Insta, do whatever you want to get it, and I will drive this Skoda Octavia to your house and I will let you have a drive of this car because you are going to be massively surprised at what – this um, what this Volkswagen brand owned brand can deliver, uh, it is astonishing. And and as I said, more people should be into this to this brand than they are. And it is it is turned the corner. It's um, you're starting to see a lot more of them around. They've got a whole range of SUVs. They've got a whole range of these liftbacks. And when I say liftback, it's not a hatch. It basically is a giant liftback. Uh, that basically when you fold the rear seats, you have a station wagon uh, when you want it. So for me, it's way more convenient than a normal five-door hatch. It sounds like Skoda's PR team chose a very, very, very wise person to uh, give their long-term to because you sound like a, you sound like a converted sort of person. Oh, I'm an absolute <laughs> fan. Uh, I'm an absolute fan, uh, guys. And um, uh, I think I, we all are, though, of Skoda, aren't we? We, we all yes. are, and, yeah. and, and I get people looking at it all the time. Every day I park down at Collaroy to go do my quick laps, uh, which is only three laps before I run out of breath. Um, by the way, um, I, people look at this car. They stop and turn and look. I see it. I'm sitting there having a coffee, and I see this couple just look back, uh, and, and I can see them saying, and I want to go up to them and say, mate, it's a Skoda, and <laughs> let me show you the, the million features that it's got that you won't get in a, in a $75,000 prestige European car. Uh, and that's what uh, – I get kind of passionate about this brand because – you know, um, 
I mean, it competes with a whole bunch of Volkswagen brands, right? Volkswagen, uh, Audi, um, and now uh, Cupra is coming, as we know. Mm. Um, so it's got some competition, but I think the USP of Skoda is it offers these incredibly innovative features and real features that you use every day. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ecstatic. And like I said, if anyone wants to know more about the Octavia, which I think is one of the best sedans you can get, really roomy, um, come and see me, DM me. It's the sort of car you can get out of something very cool and into this and you're just as happy and that tells me it's a great car. Well, maybe you should maybe stop looking at buying the GT3 Crawford and just buy an Octavia oh, instead. Oh, Mandy, yes. <laughs> he gets given them for free, Mandy. Why would he buy one? GT3, <laughs> mate. Oh, please don't be. Mandy, you've brought up the poor, a really sour subject with me. You know I don't have my 911 anymore. And, I know, I know. Um, every time I see one, I'm literally uh, – I almost want to start crying, uh, to be honest. But uh, I'll wait. Right. Just, it'll be extra special when uh, one day I can hopefully get a GT3. You will. You will, I'm hopefully. sure. Hopefully. All right, yeah. guys, we'll wrap this up. Tony Crawford and Mike Costello, thank you. Thanks very much, Mandy. Thanks, Mike. Thank